Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. Hello and welcome. Joining me today to share the 10 spiritual books that had the most influence on her life journey is artist, author, teacher, wildlife photographer, and couch servant, Anne Gadd. Anne Gadd is a holistic therapist, a journalist, artist, and the author of 35 fiction and non-fiction books on art, creativity, healing, self-help, and the Enneagram, a personality typing tool that categorizes us into nine different types based on our core motivations and fears. An accredited Enneagram practitioner, Anne's books on this subject include The Enneagram of Eating, Sex and the Enneagram, and Better Parenting with the Enneagram, Nine Types of Children and Nine Types of Parents. Anne Gad, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. So you've said that for as long as you can remember, you were either writing a book or reading one. I mean, with 35 books uh, in your back pocket, I would think that you've spent an awful lot of time writing over the years. Yeah, even as a kid, I used to write like stories um, and yeah, the, some form of creativity, whether it was reading or writing or constructing something, or, or uh, I gained deep pleasure from doing things like that. I, I really in, enjoyed it. And I think I went for many years only reading nonfiction, and pro probably until I was in my 40s. And then I joined a book club, and I realized that the lights of fiction, and what have I been missing all these years? And that, um, you know, I'd become almost too cerebral in, in my reading approach. And so I was very grateful because that opened me up to a whole new world of reading. So I, I, I read a lot. Um, yeah. Go on, admit it. You've described yourself as an addict. <laughs> Completely. Absolutely. <laughs> Up until recently, I belonged to two different book clubs because I had different types of books. So, yeah, no, a complete, a complete uh, addict. Um, and, and across all different types of writing as well. I find that interesting as well. I don't just like to stick to one genre. Um, yeah. But as in, in my own writing, I haven't stuck to one genre either. So I guess that figures. Um, mm, yeah, so much to say, so little time. So you <laughs> said that you thought it would be an easy task to do this list, but in fact, it proved anything but. Tell us about that. I have, um, in fact, the room where I paint, there's this huge wall. And it is full of books, despite the fact that almost on a weekly basis, I take books in to give to the charities when I'm finished with them, or friends or whoever. 
But um, so standing sort of confronted by this huge wall was very difficult because I had to take myself back in time and what was going on in my life at that particular time. And I came back to my office with this whole pile of books and then discarded half of them and then went back. And, you know, it was like that because, I mean, how do you really define those just 10? I mean, when you went with the um, Omni Awards and you were reading out, the, you know, the most popular authors and books, I mean, I think apart from two, every single one of those books I had read, and I was thinking at the time, oh, I should have included, oh, why did, you know. So I think, but I, th I, th I believe that, is this true? Yes, I think it is. Essentially, all these books are trying to tell us the same thing in different ways. Yes. And so it's just how you hear it and what resonates with you at that particular time. I mean, if you never had that, well, I'm sure you have had that experience. You read a book 10 years later than you've initially read it. I mean, it's like a new book. There are all these different things you never picked up on because at the time you were in a different space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you couldn't hear it. Do you remember no. the first spiritual book that you read? The first one that really kind of got your attention, shifted your perceptions? No, I can't. I think it was a book on yoga, um, but I'm really, um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, I can't remember a specific book other than being a workshop junkie. So you were going to all these different workshops, buying a book of the, of the person who was giving the workshop. Um, but yes, but I, I think if we're talking a book that has stood out as being one of the first books I've ever read, um, was a little book called Space, Time and Beyond. Uh, let me hold it That's there. the first book on your list that we're going to talk about, yes. <laughs> Space, Time and Beyond Toward an Explanation of the Unexplainable by Bob Tobin and Fred Allen Wolf, published in 1975. Is that when you read it or more recently? No, no, that's when I read it. That's when I read it. I was in London at the time working there and... Um, there was this lovely little bookshop right here where all the theatres were. And I found this book there and it appealed to me because as an artist, I'm very visual. And if you just, you know, everything is sort of uh, illustrated. So these deep concepts are illustrated and then there's a brief explanation. And I think it was a book where science and spirituality meet where profound things like when you contemplate or think about something, you have the potential to change that thing. Well, that is a very sort of um, contemporary thought pattern, but it actually has its roots in science. And there was, there was so much that, that in that simple little book, it's the kind of book that you can pick up and Think about ponder one thing while you're on the loo, you know, <laughs> and and it it um, sometimes the simplest things are, or, or the most complex ideas that there's a real skill in simplifying them. Um, you know, I remember the days of reading, and, and no offense to Alice Bailey, but reading, plodding my way through vast volumes of her work, you know. 
but it was so refreshing to read this book where so many concepts were, were, were drawn. And yeah, it, so yes, it made an impression on me. And it, it helped to, to link what I had believed that basically science and spirituality were saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, book number two is one that's very popular on the book club, and that is Anatomy of the Spirit, The Seven Stages of Power and Healing by Caroline Mace, published in 1996. Also from 1996. So I had had a lot of um, influence, people like Louise Hay, Rosalind Maria, I went to listen to her talk, um, fascinating stuff. So sort of almost taking the mind-body connection um, and expanding on it. And when I heard that Carolyn was going to be in South Africa, um, I, I then leapt on an aeroplane with money I didn't have and went to Johannesburg and hired a car and did all these brave things, which were brave for me at the time, and went and listened to her and um, absolutely was enchanted, um, loved the way she taught, um, and to this day, I, I was listening to her talk the other day on narcissism. You know, she's working with archetypes. So really, um, yeah, an incredible teacher. And in this book, it looks at the at the ch chakras, but it also combines um, uh, Hindu teachings, but with um, the Tree of Life, the Kabbalah. So it's sort of brings together all these different uh, religions, if you like, or forms of spirituality, I prefer to say that, and, and overlays them over each other. Um, and to give us a profound insight into the nature of ourselves and how we are energetically constructed. Mm, yeah. She's, um, yes, so many people just love this book. Um, and with good reason. So number three, Eastern Body, Western Mind, Western Mind, Psychology and the Chakra System as a Path to the Self by Anadea Judith, uh, published in 1966. So I was thrilled actually to go on to your um, website and see that you had, she, you know, she was part of this book club. It felt an enormous honour to be um, I wouldn't say standing side by side, but on the same sort of page, uh, because this book really did influence me, and and in fact to the point that I introduced in a lot of the work I was doing at the time this understanding of the chakras, and um, it inspired me to write "Climbing the Beanstalk," which is a book about how all the main fairy tales mirror the seven growth stages of the chakras so that yeah it, it was it was a fantastic reference book for that as was caroline's book um mm. and obviously then yeah one of two of the other books we're going to go into later were also very influential i like the comment you made about this you said some books are meant to be read and reread and such is the depth of wisdom they contain. Um, this book, this particular one, is one that you have read many times. You know, I, I mean, I'm 
don't normally underline things in books because I don't like damaging the books. Going through this one, I see so much of what I underlined at the time, which is, it, it almost shows me how dedicated I was to the book at the time. And, and still now, because I'm reading what I underlined 30 years ago, and its relevance has not faded. There is still mm. so much wisdom in this book and so much to be learned from it. Um, it's not a light read. I mean, you don't sort of pick it up like a James Hadley Chase and flip through it in the night. But it's it's there's a huge amount of wisdom in that book. Yes. Yes, there is. Book four, Man and His Symbols, conceived and edited by Carl Jung. And this book actually owes its existence to one of Jung's own dreams. Um, apparently, he dreamed his work was understood by a wide public rather than just by psychiatrists and therefore he agreed to write and edit this particular book so um yeah very prophetic there this one came out in 1964 so tell me how it impacted you um yeah I believe it was the last book that he wrote before he died um so it really embodies so much of the man's of the man's wisdom and his understanding of symbols and how in, what did they say in the Talmud? If we don't work with our dreams, it's like having a letter that we leave unopened. Yeah. And, you know, I went to a Jungian analyst, um, in fact, two thinking about it. And both of them, you know, we in unpacking your dreams, you just realize, wow, 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 how these, Things that so, so many of us just sort of either forget or don't give any attention to really is an incredible form of self-healing because, you know, it's your subconscious and superconscious really communicating with you in a symbolic way. Mm. And what I like about you, you know, um, there are many things if you'd go on the internet and, and, and type in dream symbols, what does it mean if I dreamt of a black cat or something? You know, they'll give you the answer. You know, and I think his is so much more open and so much more based in different belief systems and rituals and and things of the past. It's not so specific, which I don't believe dream interpretation should be, because different things mean different things to different people. If I go back to the cat, I mean, I absolutely adore them, but if you don't like them because they give you hay fever my dreaming of a cat and your dreaming of a cat is going to be very different symbolically. And yeah. I, I believe that much of what we read on the internet or in books as well um, is too specific. And different things mean different things to different people. And I believe this book was a wonderful grounding in understanding that, in, in, in you know, in art, I mean, there's so much symbology in art. Um, in, well, everything, we look around us. I mean, our days are, in fact, symbols. I mean, if you take your day and you imagine that you had dreamt your day, you could learn a lot about yourself from that experience. Mm. You, know, you say that um, you have, uh, for years in your paintings, used African symbols. Um yes. Was that before you read this book? 
or after you read no, this book? considerably long after. Um, it's because I believe that symbols can carry a lot of energy with them. And the intention is to imbue the hanging space with the positive energy as symbolized by the symbols. And do you choose the symbols or do they choose you? The symbols are African in origin. Um, so I just sit down and I put on the paintings whatever symbols, I mean, I know the symbols and I know them well. So whatever ones happen to come into my head, that being said, um, there are also symbols there that I've conceived that have just sort of come about, I don't know, they, they just appear on the canvas, you know. Um, so, and, and I had um, an American commission and they wanted me to use, you know, Native American Indian symbols in the painting. Um, and that was very interesting because I learned a whole lot of new symbols that I'd never encountered before. Mm. Interesting. Book number five, another um, one that frequently gets mentioned and probably is towards the top of our most recommended books, most often recommended, The Power of Now, A Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment by Eckhart Tolle, published in 1997. That's the, uh, a friend of mine had a birthday and so she invited some of her girlfriends to the, she'd hired this beautiful house next to the sea and we all went there, we were all going to have fun. I grabbed this book on the way out the front door and that was me gone for the weekend, <laughs> um, which wasn't the most sociable behaviour and I did apologise afterwards. But but I was just so, here was a man, he was saying, talking about presence and talking how about the need to get out of our minds and it was captivating. You know, I went on to read some of these other books afterwards, which I enjoyed equally as much. Um, but this was the sort of forerunner of thinking of what is presence? What does it really mean? People talk about it, you know, but what does it really mean? And have I experienced it, you know? And if so, how? And I think we're going to go to the Enneagrams later, but, you know, one of the... the things about the Enneagram is the essential need to work with head, heart, and body. And I think this book is saying to an extent that, you know, if we're totally living in our heads, then we cannot achieve this presence that we're seeking. Because living it's in your head is fear. It's interesting because you said that, um, you know, you're, you're at this party this weekend you've got your head stuck in a book um you know you were in the now as you were reading that book and discovering its power and yet at the same time we often think that if we're thinking and reading sometimes can be like thinking because we're digesting those yeah. words and analyzing what they mean to us um one would think that you would be anything but present if you are if your attention is on understanding the words, but there's something about that book that really just bypasses thinking. I'm really 
that's very comforting the way you put it because that really was the experience. And then you become one of these, you know, like, um, Plato, what's it? Uh, is it Plato's cave? You know, with the, yeah, I think it is Plato's cave where the guy goes and he sees the reality of nature in this cave that the people walking across a bridge are in fact only shadows thrown by a fire of what is real. And he runs out to tell the world and um, then he gets killed because people don't want to hear the truth, as have so many, um, uh, what is the word, prophets, you know, ended up being killed. But, yeah. um, and so I think, I, I remember taking this book and saying to people, you've just got to read this book. and. And, and not getting as enthusiastic a response as I was hoping for. And then you just realize, you know what, this is this is not really, it, it's an individual journey. And when the time is right, we pick up the right book. And I do believe that, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, you, you can't force people to read a book or try and persuade them. I mean, because then I think you would read the book and you wouldn't get anything from it. Exactly. You've got, yeah, the book, the book knows when it's the right time. Yeah. And I think we know when it's the right time too. I remember years ago, I owned a health shop and just outside the health shop, someone left this gorgeous book called Bridges. And to this day, I never know who left it or why or what have you, but it was the book that I needed at that time. Uh, and I think that's what books do. They kind of show up unexpectedly in our lives and yeah mm, yes I agree with that um book number six very intriguing title after the ecstasy the laundry how the heart grows wise on the spiritual path by Jack Cornfield published in so, 2000 um, I love humor. A lot of my art in the past is to be with humor, and I've written a number of books that involve humor. And I just love that title because it's so very real. And I believe that what we do sometimes is we sort of turn people into gurus and then get deeply disappointed when like pretty much all gurus, they 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 don't behave the way we want them to. There's either sexual issues or money issues or drug issues or whatever. And then we feel terribly let down. And I think the message of this book is if you find the guru outside yourself, you haven't found him. If you find the truth outside yourself, you haven't found him. You know. And so he talks, he tells, the whole thing is really sort of snippets of stories of, of his interaction because he was with, and I can never pronounce him, Thich yeah, and various other spiritual leaders. So he says himself, he got a sort of close up view of these people that you know many of us have revered and saw how incredibly human they were. The Zen master, he's got children yelling and screaming at him for being a useless parent. And, um, you know, how can you, you're a Zen master, why aren't you a better father? You know, Kind of thing, and and I love the book because it shows our central humanness. Yeah. 
that we might have this incredible experience. And, and he describes this um, journey on a train after there's been this incredible um, breakthrough consciousness awakening. And now he's on two in London and everything is the same, but nothing is. And it's that absolute normalcy of returning to, you know, to life. I mean, we, we sort of mystics without monasteries. Um, and for that and the humor um, and the very realness of it, you know, um, none of us can put ourselves on pedestals and say, I am the enlightened one, because to do so is essentially to fall off that pedestal very quickly. So... I love the comment that your friend wrote in the book. Tell us about that. I have to read it. Uh, um, uh, it's, I've got two copies of the book. But basically, and just correct me if I'm wrong, I think she said, I'm halfway through the book or something, um, but I'll, I need to go and do the laundry, so I'll read the rest later. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Is that what, yeah. I think you'd written, read halfway, then had to do the laundry. That's right. No, yeah, no, I've got the hard copy and a, and a uh, paperback, yeah. Mm. Um, but yes, that's it's a very realness of, of wanting to live a higher vibrational life when you do have to cook supper and collect the kids from school and sort out fighting colleagues, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's, and mm. that, this book was very comforting from that point of view. Yeah, life still goes on, doesn't it? We're going to yeah. take a short break now, Anne. You're listening to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's 10 Best Spiritual Books weekly interview series and sharing the 10 books that influenced her life journey the most is artist, author, teacher, wildlife photographer, certified Enneagram teacher and cat servant. And we'll learn a little bit more about that later. Anne Gad. We'll be back with more from Anne Gad after this break. Om Times TV. Maya Angelou once said that there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer, and when I'm not hosting Om Times Media's flagship radio show, What Is Going On, and the No BS Spiritual Book Club, I help people share their untold stories. Books are my life, my joy and my passion. And there is no greater reward than helping aspiring writers get their books out of their heads and into the hands of those who are waiting to read them. If you feel that you have a book in you but don't know where to begin, visit sedgbeer.com. Click on the Work With Me tab and find out how my experience helping others tell their stories might be just what you've been looking for. That's sedgbeer.com, S-E-D-G-B-E-E-R.com. Imagine becoming a super influencer. Reinvent yourself, invest in your brand, and then manifest your success with a robust, spheric approach. Own Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. 
Through our produced shows, OM Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an OM Times magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. By live streaming your show on OM Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive OM Times radio and TV networks, you become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. OM Times, open yourself to the possibilities. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Welcome back. And Gad, book number seven on your list is Women Who Run With the Wolves by Jungian analyst Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And that was published in 1992. This book describes the wild feminine aspect of ourselves that has through the years been suppressed, destroyed, whatever. And so Estes uses fairy tales, um, myths, legends, and so on, to describe this aspect of ourselves that has gone missing. And I love that. And in fact, I did several paintings based on on the you know the the the, the, the concept of discovering wild woman inside you. You say that you especially liked um, some of the delicious names of the towns, sea skin, soul skin, and the dirty goddess. I mean, you know, if, if they don't make you want to read those towns, I don't know what would. Um, but you yeah. say they, they help you, help us, find our way back to our true selves. Yes, they describe... In a, in a mythical way, how we've lost that essential power. How, you know, I mean, I think we've just, in the power of now, he talks about that women, it's easier for women to reach enlightenment than men, which I think is quite a controversial statement. But it's because of that essential mother earth, mother nature, mother, the universe is seen as a feminine um, aspect. So in these stories, it's how do we get that back? How do we move away from the 1950s sort of woman who really had lost all sense of herself, all sense of her instinctual power? And in sealskin, soulskin, the woman who is essentially a seal but a beautiful woman gets lured um, into a fisherman's boat, a lonely fisherman's boat, and he takes her back to land and says, I will keep your seal skin for seven years and then you can make a choice whether you want to go back or not. Well, of course, when it comes for her to go back, he hides the, he hides the seal skin, he doesn't want her to go back. So essentially, you know, um, there's an aspect, I think, 
of masculinity that doesn't necessarily want women to find that more empowered state of themselves. Well, I think it's very true that all of us edit ourselves. We edit ourselves all the time, depending on the company we're in, um, you know, just to fit and not make waves. And I think it's especially true of women because yeah. it seems, you know, that it's there's certain um, characteristics that are not okay for women to express. If a woman in the workplace, and look, a lot of this has changed, but back in the days when I was in the corporate world, if a woman asserted herself, she was classified as a bitch. Yeah. If a man asserted himself, he was classified as a strong leader. You know, there was that kind of prejudice yes. that was certainly there, um, you know, back in yeah. the day. Yeah, stereotyping. Hmm. Mm. I haven't read that book. It's been on my list for so long that I really need to get around to reading it. So um, book number eight, Big yes. Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear by Elizabeth Gilbert. And this was published relatively recently in 2015. You say this one was a revelation for you. I loved it because it unpacked what it is to be creative. Okay, and creative doesn't mean something that you hang up on your wall. I, I say that, you know, like we started with the canvas and, 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 and the canvas is essentially us. But what we do on the canvas is how we live our lives, how we, how we choose to, to be creative. So anything that makes you feel alive and awake and connected is essentially creative, whether that be gardening or cooking or sculpturing or just taking a walk along the beachfront. They're all aspects of creativity where we move away from that horrible little word that says you shouldn't, you know, or you should be doing this. And what I liked about her is that she peels away many of the myths of creativity, the, these fears that we have, you know, um, what if I just do a one of wonder? What if I don't even do a one of wonder? What if I'm too old to start creating? What if I'm too young to start creating? You know? And she also looked at the fact that that um, creativity is tough. You know, it's a tough job. You need courage and you need persistence. And there are going to be those days when you wake up thinking, oh, I just don't feel like this, or I'm not in the zone, or whatever it is. And she's saying, no, no, you, that's when you actually carry on working. That's when you do the stuff. Because I think so much creative talent is lost to those voices. Oh, I'm just not in the mood today. And I think, I feel, in fact, that her book is incredibly inspiring. My husband is an artist, and he reads a book once a year just to keep himself on track so that he doesn't forget um, and, and get stuck creatively in those messages, which basically are all based on fear. Mm. Well, the point is that we all need to learn is we're creating all the time. It's Absolutely. just sometimes we're doing it, you know, unconsciously and we can do something consciously too. Absolutely. And how you approach that. Yeah. Um, so it's a fantastic book. I really, re it's she's writing specifically about authors, but it encompasses all forms of creativity. 
And mm -hmm. anyone who's sort of done the artist way and now looking for motivation, it, this book doesn't let you slack off. <laughs> this book inspires you to create despite the negative voices in your head. Mm. Now, as um, an Enneagram practitioner, of course, there are books on the Enneagram in your list. And book nine is the spiritual dimension of the Enneagram, Nine Faces of the Soul by Sandra Maitri, published in 2000. So a lot of what we see on social media these days is sort of pop psychology Enneagram stuff, you know, um, nine ways we uh, go shopping or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's fun, and, and I'm not knocking it, but it, it misses the depth of the Enneagram. And really what this book is doing is it's, it's, it's like um, a deep guide to where we have lost our holy truths. So if you look at what we call the divine God, Jehovah, whatever, as having many names, so that many aspects, those aspects overlay, or those holy truths overlay over different Enneagram types. And it's the very opposite of the fixation that drives our personality, our ego-driven personality. Um, so it's really the, the coming home, the landing ground of where we are headed once we can let go of those fixations. Do you think that this book is a good book to give to somebody who is um, fairly new, um, you know, to the uh, just waking up and wants to begin to learn more about themselves? Or would you say that it's more for somebody who is a little bit more seasoned in the spiritual arena? You know, facing ourselves as you and I'm sure all the listeners know, is never easy. And I believe if you jump up in front of people and expose them too early in their journey, they run a mile. Because who wants to face those aspects of yourself, that the shadow aspects that maybe aren't so pleasant? Who wants to face the stinginess in one or the need to be right or one's own gluttony, all those things. So I believe one has to tread very carefully when giving people books because you may do the opposite of what is intended. And I would say in this instance, that is probably so. That being said, how do we know? How do we know that we're not going to give this book to somebody who's living on the street and it's just the very thing that turned their life around? We yeah. don't know that. Mm. But it is a more complex book than some of the other books that are out there. So it is, it's a read. Um, but there's so much wisdom and so much self-understanding and it's, it's a relief. It's like, oh, so now I get it. Now I understand why these things have been happening my whole life and I haven't got, I, I, yeah, I couldn't understand why. Now I get it. Yeah. Someone's tapping me on the shoulder saying, wake up, darling, you know, 
and then I went back to sleep. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you say that it shows how the Enneagram not only reveals our personalities, but illuminates a basic essence within each of us. And isn't that really something that most of us <coughs> journey in to find that basic essence within us? Yes. You know, where have I, where have I fallen? Where have I moved away through fear from the essence of who it is I am and created these behaviors and fixations and, and, and you know, things my neuroses have created in order to protect the ego that essentially is doing the very opposite of mm. myself, my higher soul self, you know. Yes, yeah. Well, book number 10 is The Wisdom of the Enneagram, The Complete Guide to Psychological and Spiritual Growth for the Nine Personality Types, uh, written by Don Richard Riso and Russ Hudson, published in 1999. You say this is a, a classic that most students will encounter on their Enneagram journey. Absolutely. It's very all-encompassing. It's very informative. It's written in such a way that it's easy to understand. Um, you know, they've written a number of other books, but this remains, I believe, the classic. Um, the classic sort of intro to the Enneagram uh, and, yeah, all it encompasses. So it's, it's a great reference book. I still go back and reference stuff from it. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's uh, if you're intrigued about the enneagrams, it's a very good book to to start on. So that's your ten books. Now, if you could have dinner with any one of those authors, or have the opportunity to sit face to face with them in conversation, who would you choose? Hmm. Okay. No, I think probably maybe Carolyn Mace. Simply because I like her, she's a really warm person. So probably her or Eka Pony, just because I would be fascinated, but probably quite intimidated in a way. Whereas I think I'd be, you know, um, I'd be more relaxed with Caroline. Yeah, well, she's a lady who doesn't pull any punches. You know, you're going to get what you're going to get from her. I do know that, and I do know when she came here, there were people who were upset because of the fact that she did just that. Yes. But I witnessed it and I witnessed them handing over their permission to her. Yes. So there are always two sides to the story. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And so what what first interested you in the Enneagram? Uh, my brother gave me this book. In fact it was the wisdom of the Enneagrams and I mistyped myself because we always do because we think we know ourselves but in fact we don't so and then I said uh, just another personality profiling system not interested here's a book back cheers and so I really dismissed the book um, and all the wisdom it's contained because I didn't understand it and I didn't understand myself sufficiently to land into who I was or am, in fact. And it was only a good couple of years later 
I saw this, you know, I just have to see the word book sale and I'm there. It's like, you know, bees to honey. Um, and there was this other book on the Enneagrams that combined the Enneagram, strangely enough, and yoga. And I picked it up and I read the personality five. And it was my husband completely. I mean, what he said, what he did, his man cave. I mean, it was like somebody had come into our home and described what the, this man and, 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 and then I thought, well, if it's so accurate with him, maybe I haven't got myself. And that started the journey of, you know, who am I really? Because clearly who I thought I was, aspects of it are there, sure. But it wasn't the totality of who I was or am. Did you find um, after uh, you got involved with the uh, Enneagram and learned more about your type, did it? change the way you work in any way i mean you're a very creative person your output is fairly prolific um did you find that it gave you permission to do something that you hadn't done before maybe because of the fear um, i believe that because of the type i am you know we we, we are desperately afraid of not belonging or being part of so the effect that had on me was not to really want to become known or have to do talks like this because then you're putting yourself in the firing line. And so when I wrote Six in the Enneagram, it was a very, very tough thing for me to put it out there because I knew, I knew the minute you have the word sex in anything, People are going to be ready with their boulders to hurl them at you with great force. And sure enough, the first review I got was, don't ever read this book. So, <laughs> you know, um, which was mortifying for me because, you know, I've got other integrated people to go through the book and, you know, I'm not being too offensive, am I? you know. Um, but I was, it's the nature of the integrated, you know, you, you the, the aspects of ourselves when we're healthy, you know, emotionally, and when we're not so healthy. And you don't do anyone a service by only talking about the great parts of ourselves. What we do is feeding their egos, and you're not really giving anything to work with. So, yeah, and I think the, the so, I mean, I don't want to be, say, hiding your light under a bushel, but there was that sort of fear of what would happen if I became more than just a woman working in a little back office somewhere, writing endless mm -hmm. books, doing endless paintings, you know. Um, yeah. And, but there were some things, you know, things like putting your head in the sand. I mean, I'm brilliant at that, you know, um, sort of avoiding fashion issues so the awareness of that then you start thinking oh, oh i'm doing it again you become your own conscious observer mm. and then you can make the choice if you want to remain like that or you want to change that behavior you um described yourself in your keywords and we always ask people to give us a couple of fun keywords that only perhaps their loved ones, you know, would use to describe them. And, um, you know, without doubt, you're a self-confessed cat servant, by which I guess the rulers in your house are the kitties. Um, 
tell us, could you apply the enneagram to the cats? Oh yes, oh definitely. I have one eight who is <laughs> he's a small cat, but he walks around like he's you know I'm in charge here. No, nothing happens without my saying it happens. No, it's, it's completely. And I got an animal whisper in because I got a rescue dog, and there were some problems, and I need to find out what the background of the dog was. And I mean, this cat turns around and he says, I am suave. The other cat is not suave. I am exceptionally suave. And, and yeah, I mean, just they definitely, definitely have different personalities. And yes, just like anything else, like uh, countries or uh, anything really, you can apply the, the principles of the Enneagram too. So, yes, I, they are. I have a definite two dog. Um, the rescue one, and uh, the, the, these two cats. So, yeah, the eighth cat who really does believe they they run the run the show. So, would you not? Would you choose not to have a pet if you got a glimpse of certain types? <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. No. Because once again, you know, this rescue dog. Um, her owner died and she had been put into the SPCA and coming obviously from quite a very loving background. She had had quite a horrific time sort of locked up in a cage and so on. And when she came, she was really, really in a bad way. She couldn't stop panting. She was nervous energy. She, 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 she was really quite, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to get around this dog? You know, and really with love and routine and, and so on, she's completely changed dog. So if I applied what you said to her originally and hadn't got her, I would have missed out on a really fantastic dog and a very loving dog. Mm. Yeah. So tell me about your art because you're a very prolific artist and you've written, as you said, all kinds of different types of books. You write for children. You know, where's your inspiration come from? Um, I do have an Enneagram book on cat personalities, if you're interested. It's called Nine Lives, and it examines your personality of your cat. Um, so I had great fun writing that. I loved it because you could play the court jester. You could say things in that book that you wouldn't really be able to say if you were talking about people. But because you're talking about cats, it's perfectly acceptable. So I had a lot of fun with that. And I did the drawings, the illustrations myself. So I also enjoyed that. Um, but getting back to the art, you know, I years ago, my husband lost his company. Um, things were really bad. I, I had been working myself to the bone, trying to do alternative therapies, trying to um, bring up two kids, uh, teach art classes, teach Reiki. I mean, just just this whole mishmash of things just to try to keep our heads afloat. And then it got to be winter and the art classes tailed off and, you know, because no one wants to do anything in winter. And everything, the income stream just sort of dwindled. We, we sell most of our work to tourists and then no tourists in winter. And I was in the garage where we used to paint and I just, I just said, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm absolutely broken. We're going to lose the house. The kids are going to have to get out of this nice school, you know, what do I do? And it was like this voice said, paint sheep. And I'm like, no, um, 
I, I need more than that here. No, I mean, no, that's not going to do it for me. And his voice just said, paint sheep. And then you reach that stage of absolute, you know what? Thy will, not my will. I'll paint sheep. So I grabbed a couple of canvases and broke rebelliously every rule in the art book. So my hills go out of the painting. Um, my sheep are absolute bang center. You know, all, all the things that we were taught at art school you shouldn't do. And I had, they had funny little sayings like meditating sheep or creative accounting sheep or the CEO was balancing on a ladder about to fall off because that's what CEOs feel like. And I took them to a gallery and they I took seven and they phoned me on the Monday. That was a Thursday. And they said, bring more sheep. And that started an incredible journey of five and a half thousand paintings um, of these little funny sheep uh, doing with plays on words, you know, um, French sheep, that kind of thing, for which I'm grateful because we put the kids through school, um, kept our house. We, you know, it, 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 it literally was like in that moment of surrender to the ludicrousness of sheep. I mean, come on. <laughs> Something magic was born. Sounds like a comic strip to me. <laughs> well, not really because there's the only sort of single incident of things. But, um, you know, because of that, there was a sheep cookbook and, you know, you at work and, you know, things like that. So um, wine a bit and you will feel better. Um, so there was a series of books that was done um, relating to these sheep, which were a lot of fun, you know, taken from the paintings. So, um, um, you know, what else do you paint? I mean, is it all humorous? No, 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 no. Um, since then, I do wildlife stuff using the symbols. Um, in fact, I've just done a painting today that's going on auction for the Wildlife Rhino Foundation. So I do that, um, you know, uh, and sell those. But also, I've been going a lot more personal and a lot more into my own symbols and my own subconscious and bringing stuff out from there which is a very much more perhaps feminine approach to art um, so that's been quite an interesting journey because the thing is that the other paintings I kind of know where I'm going when I start off but these new works I have no idea where I'm going and I have no idea what the end result's going to look like and it's it's more like that a case of allowing stuff to come up and taking the fear of what's it going to look like? Will it sell? You know, absolutely having to take that away mm. and just going with it. And some days it feels like it works amazingly and other days it doesn't feel like it's working at all. And being okay with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What, what, um, what gives you the greatest pleasure? Is it writing or painting? I'm sorry to say, but up until the last six months, I probably probably would have said, depending on the day either, because some days I write, some days I paint. But I have to say, in the last six months, it's been getting off into the bush and being with animals and taking photographs of animals. And um, it's just something that's that's opened up for me. And I just, 
I just love it. Uh, the, the wilder, the better. The more remote, the better. Um, you know, the dirt roads. Um, you know, nearly we nearly rode over two lines <laughs> this last trip. They, they were lying under the tree in, in the road, and and you know we didn't see them, and then suddenly there was this lion like staring right at me. But it's those experiences. I mean, um, watching a wildcat hunt birds and um, yeah, just 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 watching the elephants at the waterhole and how they play and the fun they have and mm. being privileged enough to have a camera in my hand to be able to capture that. Yeah. So mm. that's really where at the moment I'm landing, but um, I'm, I'm busy on three books, so we'll see where that goes. But um, you know, at the moment, give me a lion and a camera. <laughs> and Gad, thank you so much for adding your 10 best list to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's Library of Recommendations. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me and thank you, you know, on times for my award and uh, really appreciate it. Um, Go read. You deserve it. Mm. <laughs> that book was for Anne's um, The Enneagram on Parenting. Very well deserved. So for more information about Anne Gad's art, books, workshops for beginners and advanced students, visit her website at annegad.co.z or z if you're in America, a. annegad.co.z and you can learn more about the Enneagram at enneagrams9paths.com. That's and it. And there's no e, sorry, and, and no e on the N. Yes, that? absolutely. Yeah. A-N-N-G-A-D-D. -D. Yeah. So that's it for this week. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer. I'll be back at the same time next week with another 10 best interview for the No BS Spiritual Book Club. Till then, it's goodbye from me. And thank you again to Anne Gad. Thank you.